Good morning, Hope Church. How you guys doing? Everybody good? Yeah? Good. We're just, what, seven days away now, right, from Christmas. Big celebration. But you know, uh, I think that Christmas, while it's a, a wonderful celebration, very often overshadows some of those great celebrations that uh, take place that we sort of overlook. For instance, this past week, the 13th, everybody knows it was National Cocoa Day, right? Had a cup of cocoa and celebrated? No? And neither did I. Here's a big day on your calendar, though. The 14th was Monkey Day. Yeah. I'm not making this up. There is a day set aside for people to dress up as monkeys. Whew. But here's a good one. Here's one that, that I know I would enjoy. The 15th National Cat Herders Day. Yeah. If we could herd them into it, well, we won't go there. But you guys know how I feel about cats. Love them. Love them to death. But then today, today is actually a legit day. It's a National Twin Day. Now, I don't have a twin sibling, but we have twin daughters. And our twin daughters, they happen to be together up in Wisconsin today. I hope they're celebrating National Twin Day, because it's a big day for them. But I want to begin by asking you guys a question. If you had the opportunity to interview anyone from history, who would it be? And this question has been asked more often than you may think. There's a lot of information on the internet about this. And some of the most popular answers, I don't know, maybe they jump to your mind. But Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, Dwight Eisenhower, Isaac Newton. Was it really an apple that you hit you on the head? I don't know. Lee Harvey Oswald. Was there really a gunman on the grassy knoll? I don't know. Hitler, Mother Teresa, Friedrich Nietzsche. One guy said Ben Bernanke. Ben Bernanke, when he was the chair of the Fed, he wanted to know when they were going to raise interest rates so he could hedge his bets against the stock market. But names like Leo Tolstoy, Galileo, Einstein, Gandhi, they keep coming up again and again and again. But here's my question. Who would you want to interview? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest with you, that is the most popular answer in any of these polls that were taken. The most popular answer is Jesus. And I'm, I'm sure you would have a litany of questions for him, and rightfully so, because no one in history, friends, has ever had the kind of impact on the world that Jesus has. Now, I want you to think for a moment what you would ask him. And maybe some of you have thought about this before. And there's thousands of questions, right? Thousands of questions that we would love the answers to. And actually, Larry King, the king of interviews. That's a pun intended there. But Larry King was asked this question. And his answer was in line with the most popular answer that we hear. And that is, he would like to interview Jesus. 
But the questioner continued and said, and what would you like to ask him? And Larry King said, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. And you know what? Larry King is absolutely right. The answer to that question does define history. But we don't have to interview Jesus to find the answer to that question. And I hope someone pointed this out to Mr. King before he died. But the answer, friends, is found in God's holy and inspired word. And it was some 700 years or so before Jesus was born, God spoke through one of the Old Testament prophets, and he gave us all a sign that points to the virgin birth. Well, this is week four of this Advent season, and we are looking forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus. And that's what Advent is all about, right? It's about anticipating the coming of the Messiah. Now, we're in a series of messages, Do You See What I See? And I hope, I hope and pray that we're learning how the people of ancient Israel looked forward to the Savior. The prophets wrote quite a bit about his coming, and through our study, I sincerely pray that we are seeing We are seeing more clearly how Jesus was and is that much-anticipated Savior. We've seen how God's kingdom of peace came near in Jesus. We looked at the star, that symbol of hope, that symbol of a king that pointed to Jesus. We saw his humble beginning, born in an insignificant little shepherd town, but a fitting place for our shepherd to be born. So in this Advent season, we remember how the nation of Israel looked forward to the birth of Jesus. But we mustn't forget that we too look forward. We look forward not to a birth, but we look forward to Jesus' return. That glorious day when we join him and reign with him forever. That hope that was realized in the birth, the death, and the resurrection of this Savior that we celebrate. Today, our focus is on another prophecy, a sign. A sign given by God through his prophet Isaiah. So our scripture for today is found in Isaiah, right? Makes sense, right? But Isaiah chapter 7 in particular, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7, our focus is really going to be on verse 14, although we will look at some other kind of supporting verses um, in that uh, chapter. But in terms of context, if you remember, if you were with us last week, you may remember that we said that Micah, right, Micah was the guy that we looked at his prophecy last week. Micah and Amos and some of those other minor prophets, M-I-N-O-R, right? We're not going to do that joke again. But these guys were contemporaries of Isaiah. In other words, they prophesied roughly around the same time frame. And as Isaiah is writing in chapter 7 here, it's about 60 or 70 years before the prophecy that we looked at last week. 
from Micah. But it is, in fact, uh, true that the nation of Israel was divided. We had Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And Assyria, right, that bad actor that we heard about last week that laid siege to Israel, well, they are at, the, at this time just becoming this incredible superpower that eventually will lay siege to Israel. And the nations of the region, they recognize this growing power, and they become quite concerned, so concerned that the nation of Israel in the north and a nation called Syria, not to be confused with Assyria, but Syria, their neighbor, they actually form an alliance because they want to be able to defend themselves against this growing power of the Assyrians. And they wanted the nation of Judah to the south, they wanted them to join their coalition against Syria. Now, the king of Judah at the time was a man by the name of Ahaz. And Ahaz was, he was really not a good guy. We read about him in 2 Kings chapter 16. But Ahaz, he encouraged idol worship. He even sacrificed his own children to the god Molech. He was not a good guy. But regardless, Syria and Israel, they make him a proposition. They ask Ahaz to join forces with them. But Ahaz hesitates because he isn't really sure what to do. And because of his hesitation, Syria and Israel, they turn on him. They decide they're going to get rid of Ahaz. They're going to put another king on the throne, one that they can control, so they can do exactly what they want. Listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 7, verse 2. He says, Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, that's Syria and Israel, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Now, I want you to notice here that Judah is addressed as the house of David. Very important, right? We've learned over the past couple of weeks that the one who is to come, this Messiah, is from the house of David, in the line of Judah. And that was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. It's really interesting because we've looked at the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 a couple of times over the past few weeks. And right there in the middle of verse 9, it says in Matthew chapter 1, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Ahaz is right there in the line of Judah that eventually leads to Jesus. And God sends Isaiah to Ahaz. And he sends him with a message. And it's not just a warning about this potential attack that could come, but it's a message of hope. Isaiah says in verse 5 through 7, Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let's invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. God is saying, yeah, you got these enemies surrounding you, but, but trust me. 
trust me. Put your trust in me. Give it all to me. In fact, God goes so far as to say, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you. And in verse 11, he says, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. God says, go ahead. Go ahead. Ask me to do something spectacular. Ask me to do something just amazing. And really what God is doing here is he's challenging Ahaz, right? He's challenging him to believe. He's challenging him to trust in God. But Ahaz, in verse 12, says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, at first glance, that that sounds kind of pious, right? Sounds kind of spiritual, almost like he's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it says, don't test the Lord. But the Lord said, ask for a sign. So really what Ahaz is doing here is he's being disobedient. He's being disobedient to God. See, Ahaz doesn't want to trust God, and his refusal really stems from the fact that, look, if God came through and he did what he said he was going to do, Ahaz would kind of be forced to follow him, forced to to believe in him, forced to trust him. But he didn't want to do that. And we know he didn't because he actually signed a treaty with Assyria, the enemy. Again, something we read about in 2 Kings. Instead of siding with Israel and Syria, he signs a pact with the the enemy. He even gave away the temple treasures to the king of Assyria as a political payoff. The gold and silver items that were dedicated to the worship of God now shipped off as some payment to Assyria. And this is where we get to the prophecy that we really want to focus on this morning. So Ahaz refuses to ask for a sign. So God says this in verse 14. Therefore, in other words, because you disobey, because you wouldn't ask for a sign, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So God chose a sign that was, that was just more magnificent, more creative than anything man could imagine. A virgin birth. Unheard of. This is the miraculous part of the sign. Something that is absolutely impossible apart from God. Now, there are those who deny the virgin birth. And and some actually point to Scripture, in particular, this word here that's translated virgin in verse 14. The original Hebrew word is the word alma. Alma. And the literal translation of that word refers to a maiden who is unmarried. Now, in the culture of that day, an unmarried woman, an unmarried maiden would be expected to be chaste, would be expected to be sexually pure. That is one of the characteristics of a maiden as described by that word Alma. So while it doesn't say virgin explicitly, it is implied that this maiden would be 
a virgin. And that is affirmed in the Septuagint. You guys remember what the Septuagint is, right? Greek translation of the original Hebrew Bible, right? So in about 200 BC, the original Hebrew was translated into Greek, which was becoming the language of the day. And the translators, they were meticulous. They were meticulous. And they understood this word Alma here to be rendered with the Greek word Parthenos. Parthenos, which is literally virgin. It was clear to them at the time what this word meant. It should be clear to us as well. It's actually reinforced in the New Testament. If we fast forward to when Joseph heard that Mary was pregnant, we probably are familiar with this story, but when he found that out, he kind of thought the worst about Mary, right? He kind of thought, oh, she's been with another man. But being a nice guy, we read in Matthew chapter 1 that Joseph had in mind to divert, divorce her quietly. Now, you may say, well, hold on a second, divorced? I didn't think they were actually married yet. And that's true, but being betrothed back then meant a whole lot more than it does today. It was like you were pretty much married. And the only way to dissolve that was with a divorce. Actually, Joseph had the right, by law, to have Mary stoned to death. But he's a nice guy, so he says, I'm just going to divorce her quietly. But I think we all know the story, but uh, if you don't, the, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and says to him, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's not from man. This is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And this is critical here, guys. This is absolutely key to who Jesus is. He was not born of a man. He was born the seed of woman. You know, the last couple of weeks we've referred a couple of times to Genesis chapter 3, that original gospel. And I want to look at it again because while it describes the curse of the enemy, right? And that's kind of how we looked at it before in terms of the curse of the enemy. I want to look a little bit closer. So let's read it again, Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now we know this to be a prophecy of the relationship between the Messiah and the enemy, right? The enemy is Satan. But this also emphasizes the fact that the Messiah will be born the seed of a woman. It says between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And this emphasis continues into the New Testament. Again, we look at Matthew's genealogy in chapter 1. And we see this long list of fathers, right, in Jesus' lineage. And at the end of this 
list of fathers, Matthew writes this. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Joseph was not Jesus' father. Oh, he was his adoptive earthly father. But who was Jesus' father? Come on. God, right? God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. God is his father. Paul emphasizes this in Galatians chapter 4. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, there's nothing necessarily unusual about being born of a woman. We all are, right? But Jesus was born of a woman only. Only. That's the miraculous part of the sign. And Matthew, he actually restates it later on in chapter 1, in verses 22 and 23. He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin... Parthenos will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, Matthew, Matthew has a, a clear intention in writing this gospel. He wants us to know who Jesus is. He wants us to know that, that this virgin birth is real. He wants us to know that Jesus is the one that has been prophesied about of old. See, if, if, if it was just a normal birth, then Jesus would be just another man, which he is not. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. Emmanuel, which Matthew does us the favor of translating, God with us. God with us. The invisible has now become visible. As John tells us in the very beginning of his gospel, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. This word, the Greek word is logos, this, this, this Logos, we know this to be Jesus. Jesus, he is the word. He was there in the very beginning. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. You know, we looked at a prophecy from Micah last week, and in that prophecy, he said, the one who would be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old from ancient times, from the very beginning. That's the Logos. That's Jesus. And later in verse 14 of John chapter 1, he says, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Emmanuel, that is the, the miracle of the sign. Jesus, born of a virgin. God with us. Isn't that incredible the way all the pieces of the puzzle come together? When you look at the totality of Scripture, how, how it all coalesces in Jesus? Do you see what I see? 
It's amazing. So what is it we learn from this story of Ahaz? What is it we see in this prophecy of the sign that is fulfilled in Jesus? I just want to point out a couple of things really quickly this morning. First, trusting the sign is the only way to defeat the enemy. Trusting in God is the only way to defeat the enemy. Ahaz faced an attack from his enemies, and he had a choice to make. Do I trust God, or do I make a deal with the world? And God warned Isaiah, or warned Ahaz through Isaiah. He warned him. He said, look, in verse 9, he says, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If you do not trust in me, you will not stand. Friends, trusting in God's promise, trusting in the sign is the only way that we defeat our enemies. Now, I realize that you probably don't have a physical enemy surrounding you. But I know I know that we all do battle daily with a spiritual enemy. And that enemy is Satan. We all do. I know it. I do. And Satan would love nothing more than to destroy you. And you know what? He would love nothing more than to destroy this church. And make no mistake, friends, He's trying. He's trying. But we stand firm in our faith or we won't stand at all. You know, Paul recognized this and in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's real, guys. These spiritual battles are real. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But he says in the very next verse, the same thing that God said through Isaiah, stand firm in your faith. It's the only way that we win. In James' letter in chapter 4, he tells us to come near to God and he will come near to you. See, Ahaz went to his enemy to make a deal. He distanced himself from God. Which, by the way, didn't work out. We know that. Because it was some 65 or 70 years later that eventually a siege was laid against Judah. God was faithful to the remnant of Judah, but the nation of Judah was destroyed at the time. And friends, when we look to the world for answers, we distance ourselves from God too. But if we distance ourselves from our enemies, we come near to God. And if we come near to God, He will come near to us. Emmanuel, God with us. 
Remember, God has already defeated our enemy. He's already crushed his head. And when we trust in him, when we trust in the sign, we share in that victory. I'll finish with this. Trusting the sign is the only way that we find peace in this world. Trusting in God is the only way that we find peace in this world. Ahaz, when he was confronted with his problem, how did he react? He reacted with fear. Isaiah says his heart was shaken. He reacted with fear instead of trusting God. How do we react to our problems? When we look at what's happening at the world around us, are our hearts shaken? And look, friends, I understand that there is so much out there in this world that can cause us fear and anxiety. Watch the news, which I try not to do too much of these days. Or watch really anything on TV. I mean, I see things and hear things that I never thought I would. You look at the world of entertainment, you look at the world of politics, you look at the world in general and you say, it's spinning out of control. And I know, I know that each and every one of us have our own challenges, our own sources of fear. Health challenges, financial issues, job loss, family, relationship problems. But the message, friends, the message of this prophecy, the message of the sign given by the God of the cosmos is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. When Isaiah came to Ahaz in verse 4, the Lord said, Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. When the angel came to Mary, the angel said, Do not be afraid. When the angel appeared to Joseph in the dream, the angel said, Do not be afraid. The angel told the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I have good news. This baby that's born is the Messiah, the one prophesied from of old, of ancient times. The sign, the son born of a woman, born of a virgin, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. You know, I... I always hear people refer to this season as the most wonderful time of the year. And it can be wonderful. But I know that for some it's not. It's difficult. It's challenging. For, for so many reasons, some that we've mentioned, some that we haven't, many people feel alone or lonely. But we don't have to be. We don't have to be. Because the sign tells us that God came near when he was born. Jesus came near. In Matthew 28, he promises, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. John 14, I will never leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The writer of Hebrews reminds us, God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. 
Friends, I pray that we would all cling to these promises this Christmas season. And remember, the sign points to the birth of Jesus, born of a virgin. And when we place our trust in him, our enemies are defeated. We have nothing to fear. Through faith, God is with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so, so grateful. So grateful that you chose this miraculous sign, something that never, never could have happened apart from the power of God, and that you sent your Son, Emmanuel, to be with us. Lord, we just thank you for the hope that it gives us this season. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here that this would be the most wonderful time of the year because of Jesus, because of that sign, because of the virgin birth, because God is with us. Father, hear our prayer, for it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.